1: He's in his early 20s, which makes Jamal Green the youngest candidate running for mayor of Chicago, but he says he's the only one in the mayor's race who's been out there in the trenches protesting and fighting for families, and he's also got some ideas on tackling the challenges facing Chicago, from violence in the neighborhoods to lead in the drinking water. This weekend, we're going to hear some of those ideas and meet Jamal Green. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. 22-year-old Jamal Green is a community activist who made a name for himself as a leader in the Black Lives Matter movement, but he's been active longer than that. He started his first youth organization when he was just 15 years of age. He's been at the forefront of anti-violence efforts in this city. In 2016, Mr. Green was a surrogate for the Bernie Sanders campaign here in Illinois. He came to prominence when Black Lives Matter reacted to the police shooting of teenager Laquan McDonald but Jamal Green's been making his voice heard on a number of hot topics besides gun violence and police accountability. He also runs a not-for-profit organization known as Majesty All-Stars. Jamal Green, welcome.
0: Thanks for having me. Well, I, I wish.
1: Uh, yeah, and. Glad, uh, glad we have this time. Uh, yes. I want to start with one of the big headlines of the past week, and that okay. was the Emanuel administration and Attorney General Lisa Madigan released that long-awaited uh, consent draft consent decree on yes. police accountability. Now, among other things, the federally enforced court decree would give police officers more extensive training in everything from the use of force to dealing with the mentally ill. What's wrong with the consent decree from your point of view, and what's right?
0: Well, uh, let me let me first just say that uh, attorney Madigan um, did great by making sure that this consent decree was, um, you know, in place. And a judge was was appointed to monitor it um, before she transitioned out. Um, And, you know, we have a new um, attorney general uh, in a little bit. And so I want to give her props for that. Um, I worked with her during this uh, consent decree. Um, on several, you know, different focus groups and bringing together young people, she made sure that she said, you know, I want you to bring young people. I want you to bring people that's been affected, and I made sure I did that, uh, just to all have conversations about what should be in this consent decree, what, what, um, what, how do we want to reform our police department in, in the city of Chicago, and um, I, I'm proud that you know she negotiated. On the community's behalf, on a lot of different issues. Um, of course, you know they they have some negotiating power, and they're trying to fight some of these different things. Um, so, what I will say is that you know, I just want to commend her for making sure that um, we are moving forward in ref- in these reform in a lot of these different reforms that are so needed. For instance, um, you know, when an officer points their weapon. You know, she wants it to be documented. Um, and every time they point the weapon, whether they shoot or not, should be documented. And I think that is a a, a great, um, you know, a, a, a great, uh, um, I guess, position to take in the, in the draft. And and, and they're Ken, negotiating me why against it. Tell
1: you them. think that's a, a vital. Because uh, this is the main sticking point that is left
0: in yes. this.
1: It's the one thing that's holding up final agreement. Yes. Why is this the kind of thing that, frankly, you want the attorney general to stick to, uh, I won't say stick to her guns. That's yeah, the wrong I, I think she's going to keep
0: fighting, and, yeah. and, and I'm happy about that. I think that this is something that we need. We need to know um, how trigger happy our cops are. Um, we need to know when our cops are, are um, pulling out their weapon and, and really – figure out those uh, situations so that we can understand our training too. So we need to know w- when they pull out that weapon in a situation, why they pulled out that weapon and could it been prevented uh, or could this, you know, why did it escalate to the point of them grabbing a weapon? Could that situation been de-escalated to the point where they didn't pull out that weapon? So I think it's just uh, uh, something that needs to be documented. So we know what type of officers we're dealing with um, as well as we know how to better train our officers going forward.
1: Um, Now, what some police officers and, and frankly, what the superintendent Eddie Johnson said is that he's got a concern that officers who believe that every one of their actions is being scrutinized might hesitate at a crucial moment and not pull a weapon when they should have and that that is the kind of thing that could get them hurt or killed.
0: Well, you know, I disagree. You know, I think that... um Officers need to understand when to draw their weapon. Officers need to understand when to draw their taser. Officers need to understand how to de-escalate a situation before they have to draw anything at all. And the problem is we have cops who uh, claim their fear for their lives in in a split second and automatically draw a weapon when they could have it could have been prevented with the way that they're talking to someone or the questions that they ask, or the gestures. I mean, it, it could be it could be de-escalated to the point where they don't have to draw at all. And so uh, I disagree with that sentiment, and we need our officers to not be trigger-happy and not always be ready to use their weapon, but try to use their voices and try to use their restraint um, and try to de-escalate a situation.
1: Is there anything in the uh, draft consent decree that you think shouldn't be there?
0: Um, You know, I haven't fully read all of them it's 223 pages so um i haven't got to there yet uh that point yet Um, but what i do know is that um there are a lot of necessary reforms that i think that attorney madigan has brought forth um and you know i'm going to continue to to read a lot of those different reforms um and 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 i think that it was just good for her to put this in place because now this gives us something that Forces the administration to do some to do something, you know. While that DOJ report that was released and the police task force um, report that was released uh, uh, didn't do anything because it it was it it had no power to enforce the administration to do anything. This actually does, and appointing a judge to monitor to monitor it. And making sure that these things happen is what we need for the city of Chicago right now. Uh,
1: I want to stick with uh, some broader police questions for just a bit Mm -hmm. of of the discussion before we move on to other things. Um, How do you regain the trust of a community uh, for the police department? uh, Yeah. I mean, how how is that you going to happen in this atmosphere, which is still pretty charged?
0: Yes. Uh, you know how it happens? We need one big thing, and something that the community has been asking for forever, accountability. Police officers have to be held accountable. We have to get justice for families. And until we get that, communities will always, um, you know, feel some type of way about the police department I feel that there's a wall in between the police department and the communities because they feel like when they do something, the police are there to arrest them or kill them. But when a police officer does something wrong, a police officer gets a vacation and they get to go sit at home with their pay and feel good and go on, go out, out the country and put, they put, get, lay in a hammock and put their feet up on the sand. We need accountability for the police department. And once we get that, then the people will understand that now, you know that you can't treat us any type of way. Now, you know that you can't come in our neighborhoods and talk to us any kind of way. Now, you know, you can't come in our neighborhoods and use excessive force all because you want to. And then after accountability, then we got to have community policing. And so we have to have strategies that put uh, police officers in these communities Not just when it's time to arrest someone, not when when is, you know, uh, a time for them to draw their taser or or draw their weapon. But the community members need to see police officers as those who are going to be at the barbecues, those who are going to throw the football with the kids, those who are going to actually know the community. So we shouldn't be continuing to shift officers out of communities these officers need to be in the same communities. They need to know the stakeholders. They need to know the residents so that uh, residents uh, uh, know them. And when it's time, when something happens in the community, they can call, hey, let me call Officer Johnson. He works this beat. Let me call Officer uh, 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 this officer and tell him what I just heard anonymously. We can't build a relationship until the police officers actually blend in with the community and really talk to the community. And that's why I presented the idea to have police officers coming out of the academy, doing a a certain number of community service hours in a district that they're about to be serving. So if you know that you're about to start patrolling this, this district, you must do uh, um, uh, 50 community service hours and go and, to the neighborhood schools or to the neighborhood uh, church or, uh, and, and learn some of the stakeholders in that community. Now, Mayor Emanuel has lately
1: been suggesting that some of that, not the, not the community service part, but the uh, being out in the community, going to the football games, um, is starting to happen
0: now. What do you see? What there. I see is that he's talking like this when it's political season. All right. Let's be for real. This 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 hasn't happened under his administration. Um, frankly, it hasn't happened um, you know, as much in a lot of administrations, but definitely not under Mayor Emanuel's administration. And what they're what they've been saying when it's not political season is that police officers got too much to do. So they, they don't have time to do community policing because they're out fighting crime because our, our, our crime numbers are too high. And that's what they've been saying. But what they don't understand is, if we continue to have a reactive police department, we're 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 going to continue to be in the same position. We need a proactive police department. We need a police department who uh, represents and serves the people first. And once we get a, a that type of police department, we will see a lower reduc- definitely a reduction in crime and homicides in the city of Chicago.
1: Uh, one other proposal that you've made is to have the city. Purchase individual liability insurance policies Definitely.
0: for each police officer. Explain the uh, the reasoning behind that. So that's back to my accountability. And it's how do we hold police officers accountable and make them feel like I can't uh, do wrong and get away with it anymore? And so I present an idea to have police officers carry insurance policies. I think that uh, if a police officer has an insurance policy, and, they, and the, basically the insurance companies would be, be able to assess the liability of a police officer based on that record. Just as if you were driving a car, if you were a doctor, you have a bad record, 49 complaints, which a lot of officers have over 49 complaints, which is ridiculous. You got over 49 complaints, excessive, uh, you know, excessive force, racism, et cetera. And an insurance company says, well, we can't insure you because you're a risk we can't we can't cover it, you're you're, you're liable to to uh um uh, make us pay out millions of dollars of settlements we can't assure you well if you are uninsurable you can't be patrolling the streets of chicago because we are tired of paying out billions of dollars in police misconduct settlements and even more in the interest that we're paying on the bonds on uh uh that were taken out of these settlements so um we need insurance policies on these police officers cuz it's going to help us rid the bad apples is it's going to open up billions of dollars of revenue for the city.
1: Do you have any idea of how much uh, how much that would cost, whether it
0: would increase the costs? No, it, de- it definitely won't increase the costs. Let me tell you how. So basically, we don't have as many bad, uh, you know, as many bad apples in a police department as we do good police officers on the forest. And so, uh, for instance, we got twelve thousand five hundred you know, police officers, or so, however many we got, over twelve thousand. And if we have, let's say, eleven thousand police officers who, uh, or ten thousand who don't have uh, extensive records, then those premiums will be lower, right? So, if insurance companies say, "Well, you, you've never got a complaint, you've never uh, had a lawsuit against you," your your premium is low, but you have a smaller group. Where their premiums would be higher because they have extensive records, and so you'll have low premiums, you have high premiums, but those those with high premiums are um, uh, are at risk of being dropped. And so, if we drop, you know, a lot of those uh, uh, high risk cases or too risky police officers, then now we're 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 left with. Officers who uh, are only coming coming to serve and protect the people who are not the bad apples who have low premiums. So it'll actually be a lower expense for the city um whether it is several million dola- uh, several millions of dollars a year opposed to a hundred million dollars a year. And so it'll it actually save us a lot of money.
1: You're listening to WBBM News Radio's at issue. I am political editor Craig Delamore, and my guest is Jamal Green, activist and candidate for Mayor of Chicago. Uh, let's move on to a topic that, frankly, is related to the public safety. Okay. And that's economic development. Yes. Because uh, one way to stop violence in an area would be if more people had jobs. How Talk do you about bring it. more jobs and companies, big and small, into struggling neighborhoods? Sometimes they don't want to come
0: yeah. in those neighborhoods. I agree. And it's because of the leadership that, that we've provided to these neighborhoods. Um, we need economic development in these communities. We need to make sure, and we can start with what we have in these communities, and allow community members to build up these communities. So, for instance, we need a small business. We need a small business department that lowers some of the fees and the loopholes, and make sure that we're partnering those small businesses in these communities with uh, capital so that they're able to rebuild in their own communities. We have a matching program that we presented where those abandoned schools that Rahm Emanuel has left in our community for so many years, uh, community residents uh, and organizers will be able to come together and say, all right, this is our plan for this building, whether that is, but it has to benefit the community. Manufacturing, um, uh, vertical farm, greenhouse, homeless shelter, something that benefits community but also has a sustainability component or how it's going to sustain itself, we will cover the first year's budget and partner with a bank that hasn't been meeting their uh, CRA guidelines and and where they're supposed to be investing in a, these blighted communities. And so we would um, match their first year's budget with that bank, and then they'll be able to uh, rebuild that school into um, uh, one of those different things. But it has to benefit the community. It has to have a sustainability component of how it's going to move forward after that first year. That's where our department, our planning department, will come in. So that'll create jobs that'll allow a uh, uh, different businesses that'll help sustain a lot of the small businesses that we're powering to open up um, as well as we got to start to attract some of these companies to um, these different neighborhoods. But one thing we got to do is we got to have a financial tool that actually works for these neighborhoods. The tip funds is not working for these communities. We have to talk about it. It has been a slush fund for decades. The tip funds, uh, uh, Rahm Emanuel has given $100 million to DePaul to build a wind trust arena. Uh, uh, he's given $55 million to Marriott's and all of his, you know, a third, uh, They a report just came out last week that a third of it going to the special districts. We shouldn't have TIF districts downtown. We shouldn't have TIF districts where there already is re- uh, economic development and revenue. And so um, we need to get rid of the TIF funds. I am proposing that we abolish it. We flush out the TIF funds with billions of dollars. would then go back to the public school system, back to the park districts. And we come up with a new financial tool, a link development tool, in which pennies on the dollar that's going into economic development, that has gone into economic development in downtown and other areas. It will go into a fund to spur economic development on the southwest and east sides so that we can bring grocery stores or Amazon or different corporations to these communities because right now we don't have a a fund to even spur that type of economic development in Inglewood or in Gresham. So that's what needs to happen. Uh, Those are the few things I think we should start with.
1: When we ask the mayor about uh, TIF and TIFs have been points of contention for a long time. Yes. But what he says is that if you look at the numbers in the since he's been in office, most of the money has gone to schools and libraries and parks. Uh, so is he a counting differently than you are, <laughs> or is he using a different kind of math? What's, what, what, yeah. what?
0: Listen, like I said, a report just came out that a third of those TIF funds have been going to a special district. So basically it's been going into communities that have not been blighted uh, a third of those TIF funds. And when you say a third, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars of TIFs, um, and, and, and just how, how, it is, how it's structured, it, 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 it's, it's just all corrupted in which a downtown TIF or a Northside TIF, um, you know, all of that revenue that they get from those property taxes uh, can't be spent nowhere else but that TIF and um, those, that TIF district. Um, all those, uh, that's why the TIF funds just need to be abolished. It is all ridiculous. And we're not benefiting off of the fact that we got cranes all downtown, um, and we can't even tap into those those funds that are in that uh, district where they built that $100 million basketball arena. So um, then what we do is what Rahm Emanuel does is he has to fill in that gap in these communities and raise property taxes because he didn't froze, you know, he done made it a TIF district, froze those property taxes so long where taxes aren't going to the schools or aren't going to the park districts. And then after so long, it's like, oh, well. They need a lot of money in those districts, so we need to raise property taxes to fill that gap. It's all corrupted. It needs to be, you know, wiped away completely, and we need a new financial tool. It's a of time. It was started with good intentions out of here at Washington, uh, but now it's been corrupted.
1: Let's turn to education. Um, now, you've already talked about using some of the uh, old empty school buildings yes. that, uh, among the 50 schools that were closed. All right, what do you do to jumpstart or to support education in the neighborhoods after that?
0: Yes. So first of all, we need to make sure, uh, and this is, is my number one goal when it comes to education, is that schools in Englewood look just as good as schools or uh, are, are just as good as schools in Ravenswood. All right? I think that is important. We should not have, uh, you know, you got to understand that parents and families are in a position in the city of Chicago where they have to ship their kid to another neighborhood, bust their kid to another neighborhood, CTA, school bus, just so they can get a better education. It's not right, and it's not fair. And so what it's saying is that if you live in a community and you, you can't test well to get into a better school, then you're going to basically fail, and you're going to pass high school with a 6th, 7th grade education and can barely read. And it's not fair to students. It should be a level playing field all over the city of Chicago with the proper investment. We need to make sure that we don't have 40 kids in a classroom who don't learn the same. We need to make sure we're investing in the curriculum and their books and they've been taught civic engagement, financial literacy, stock, credit, et cetera, life skills before they leave high school and Every grade, it should basically, they should know a certain amount of information at each level, no matter where you live in the city of Chicago. We should not have schools like Tilden with no clinical staff members at all. So you have several hundreds of kids who have uh, mental health problems and they go to that neighborhood school, but they don't even have a clinical staff member to even help them with that, especially when they don't have a mental health facility because the mayor shut down every mental health facility in an urban community in the city of Chicago. And so you have to make sure we have to make sure that we have proper investment in schools all over the city and all schools are on a level playing field. And no matter where you are, if you every school should be a magnet school. shouldn't You shouldn't have to just uh, uh, send your, try to test your kid into one of the eight selective enrollment schools. Your school, in your neighborhood should be just as good uh, uh, as the school in Ravenswood. And um, I think that's important, as well as we gotta have a a higher education model to make sure schools are not, uh, students are not just focused on college, but also have different uh, uh, routes to succeed. So we presented a plan where kids coming out of high school will be able to go to community college, trade school, and entrepreneurial boot camp at the expense of the city. And all they have to do is community service so we can create tomorrow's leaders and have manpower to give back to so many of the nonprofits. Who are trying to do the work in these communities? Because a lot of trade jobs, fifty-five thousand dollars a year average salary, are empty. They're going empty because we don't. Have, we're not pushing our kids to go be the plumbers or go be the contractors or go go uh, uh uh go be on a construction site, go be an electrician. We're not pushing them in these directions and allowing them to have a path to succeed. We're just saying go to college um and we're not even preparing them to go to college so they're flunking out and then they're, they're coming back to these uh, uh, neighborhoods having to work a job with with $100,000 in debt um and they didn't even finish. Oh.
1: We uh, only have a couple of minutes left so I want to hit a couple of things quickly first. Yes. Just yes or no, you're you're for a uh, for an elected school board. Definitely. An...
0: Yes, elected oh. school board. We need it. Okay.
1: Now, uh very briefly, you and we did stories on this are pushing for more action on lead in the drinking water yes uh t- tell me what you
0: think the city can do more of so i'll tell you briefly more of uh, forget more of we need a plan we don't have a plan the city of chicago is uh, uh does not have a plan to deal with the lead in the water um and and it's just despic- despicable despicable Rahm Emanuel says if you want to change your service lines, which we have $380,000 more than any any other city in, uh, in the country, then you can pay for it. But that's going to cost ten to ten to $20,000 a home to change those service lines. And Rahm Emanuel is changing the main lines, which increases the lead levels in these uh, service lines. So we presented a plan. Um, which we would prohibit lay service lines and provide an automatic grace period to the owner. So when we change those main lines, we would change those service lines. We'll have a cost-sharing option because we believe that the, the administration should have a shared responsibility in paying for it, not just the homeowner. And so we'll have a fund where we'll take some from the TIFs, we'll take some from the ticket revenue, and we'll help our homeowners with this expense. But if we can't, if uh, while you're waiting on us to get to your service line. You will be provided with a water water filtration system. Everyone that has lead in their service line will have a water filtration system. In the city, will pay for it. Then we're going to establish a low income fund. So it's a it's called Lead Be Gone Assistance Fund for those who are low income who can't pr- uh, uh, afford it. And then we'll cover up to sixty five percent of that fund. We'll take from private donations. We'll take from um, the vehicle tax revenue, and we'll help them those who are low income out. And any portion left that you have to pay for can be assessed over to a ten year period. You won't have to pay for that up front. And so you'll see small uh increments on your bill. And so that that's that's the plan that we're presented. Cincinnati has a plan. Madison has a plan like that. We should have a plan to change these service lines. We should not be behind and allow kids to be poisoned over time.
1: Okay. And thank you for that. Uh now let's talk about the race itself, just briefly. Yes. Uh first off, there's a whole lot of candidates in this race. Frankly, the no, majority it's, not. it's only two. It's <laughs> just me around. <laughs> <Rob. laughs> if only. Only two that matter right only. now. If only. But, uh, but uh, the majority of the candidates in the race are African-American. Uh, and yes. some people suggest that this, some of it might be by design, trying to split
0: the vote within the African-American
1: Maybe. community. Yeah how much of a danger is that do you see
0: well I, I you know I think there are a couple spoilers in the race definitely <laughs> but uh, you know if people pay attention and people uh, come out to vote then I don't think it'll be a problem so they're betting on the fact that the vote is gonna be suppressed as it usually is with 590,000 people voting in the city and only one in 1.6 million registered voters so not even 40 percent even vote in the municipal election that's what they're betting on they want to suppress voting uh, number. But if young people, if if special groups, if people actually pay attention and come out to vote this time, then it won't matter because what what will happen is you you that that second place candidate will get between 100 and 130 thousand votes. That's who can get in the runoff. That's all you. That's all, that's how many votes you need to get in the runoff. And um, because Ron definitely won't get the 224 he got in the last primary, and so. You have to mobilize your audience. you got to mobilize your crowd. I think we're going to be the best at doing it. And so people have to vote. Black people, yes, a lot of black candidates, but only 27% of us vote. And we voted at, at almost 90% here in here Washington Days. So we need to get people out to vote. That should be the concern, not about the amount of candidates. But
1: now, how much money do you have to raise to get the word out to make sure that people are getting out to vote?
0: And let me make this clear. This is not about money, all right? I know the news is trying to make it about money. Of course, you need the the amount of money the, uh, to get material, to get your your, your uh, visibility. That does not take thirty million dollars, as Ron Manuel is going to spend on this race. All right, it's going to take people to pay attention. This is going to be covered by every news station in the world. This is going to have influencer influencers all over the world talking about this race. And so, it's about having a platform. It's about mobilizing your audience. It's about registering to keep people to vote and getting people out to vote. Because once you're in that runoff, that's the key. How do you get how do you have enough money to get one hundred and twenty five thousand votes? And once you in that runoff, then the choice is clear no matter how much money you have and everybody will pour into you. So don't make it about money because it's not. It's about people and people need to pay attention and show up because this is is a pivotal moment in Chicago's history.
1: Thank you. That will be the final word. That is Jamal Green. He is the candidate for mayor. And thanks for spending this half hour with us. It Thanks for fast. having me. You did. Uh, <laughs> to, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM.